Our gospel reading today is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each poor person according to what he has done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we come before you and we want to recognize that we too declare that we know your son as the Messiah. We too recognize that your son is the son of man, the son of God. But I pray that as we make these declarations that they would be in truth and that our actions would be in the footsteps of our Messiah who went to the cross, that others might live. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Geography 
Ich Theologie. You may have heard that last week from Aaron if you were here. Um, unfortunately, this is the second of a two-part sermon. Aaron Aimee preached it last week, um, starting in verse 13 to verse 20, and I will be continuing from 21 to the end of 28, which is also the end of the chapter, fortuitously. Um, but I know that some of you were not here last week. Uh, if you want to hear the actual sermon rather than my synopsis, you can go on YouTube or Facebook or Spotify and listen to it there. But I would also like to add to what Aaron said. Geography isn't just theology. Geography is practical theology. What do I mean by that? <laughs> we don't know. So, Jesus spent most of his ministry where? Well, right here in Jerusalem or up north in the Galilee, right? So he's mostly, actually, probably mostly in the Galilee, and then he comes down here as he's supposed to for the holidays, also probably to visit family and relatives who live nearby, both his own who live in Bethlehem and his wife who live also in the area of Jerusalem, right, just down the road. So he comes here often. What? I meant Joseph's wife. Uh, Joseph and Mary came with Jesus, and Jesus came with his parents, including to visit his mother's. <laughs> Thank you. That is on YouTube. Excellent. Uh, perfect. I'm going to get fired. No. Um, you have Jesus coming here often, but the majority of his time is actually in the Galilee. And there are a lot of people there who he talks to in Nazareth and Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazim, all of these different places that we hear about and may visit during our time here. But this particular story occurs farther north just below Mount Hermon, which I could preach a whole sermon on that. I won't. Um, and in this area, it's about maybe, let's say, a two-day walk if you go straight there. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous for if you want to find a hike. I would highly recommend hiking from Dan or Banyas to uh, Capernaum or um, other places, Ganeshar. Um, I've done it. It's great. However, we can do that because we think hiking, let me amend that, I think hiking is fun. I have the time, or at least I did when I was in, in college. I had the time to take a couple days off, journey up north, and hike for a couple days. It was fine. That wasn't necessarily true a couple thousand years ago. No one hiked because it was fun. No one hiked because it was beautiful. People hiked 
for region because they didn't have cars. They went from point A to point B, and the way you get there is by walking. So why go out of the way, walk up north for a couple days up the Hula Valley to come to this place called Caesarea Philippi? Well, there are four temples in this location. The name of the city is Caesarea Philippi, but it is also known today as Banyas, which is a variation of the word Panyas, or Pan. If you know who Pan is, he is a Greek god who was, you know, half shater and half man, and uh, he is the god of nature and fun and, by the way, back then, fun meant sex um, and other things, right? And right next to Pan is another temple, the temple to Nymph, who is even more about all of those things, all about self-gratification, the passions of my own body, my own mind, the things that I want. We're going to be talking largely about suffering today. And you ask, what does this have to do with suffering? Well, this is what the world does. And the world and the church of God cannot just merge culture because they are opposed to each other. And we look around this world and we say, wow, this world is getting bad. When was it ever this bad? I'll tell you when. Always. A hundred years it was this bad. A thousand years ago it was this bad. Two thousand years ago, it was worse. Why do I say it was worse? Because today you come into this world and you should be thankful that you have some, not enough, but some influence of the church. And so the things that you find to be, you know, why is everything about passion and what I want and the things that I want and everybody acts this way? Because they always have. Always. And so, we'll get there shortly. There's a third temple. This temple was to Caesar Augustus. A man. The deification of men has also always been true. We have always lifted ourselves up as if I am God to put it in the way that I would often give my soapbox answer, too often we as even Christians make God in our own image rather than realizing that we were made in the image of God. And so we lift ourselves up and the emperor, actually most of leaders uh, throughout history, many of them, are the sons of God whether you were a Caesar or a pharaoh or a king, 
You were the messenger of God. You came from God and you had a specific mission that he would give you, not to mention people like mm, Hercules, uh, Perseus, Persephone, who will come to later perhaps if we get there. These are all children of the gods. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus and his disciples were Jewish and they already had theology. And one of those theologies comes out of Daniel chapter 7. And then Daniel chapter 7, you have a throne where God, the Ancient of Days, reigns on his throne. Oh, but we also have a throne over here. Who's that throne for in Daniel chapter 7? Well, it's for the Messiah. And he also reigns with authority even as God does. This was already a theology. And so the disciples hear this. They say, who the people say that the Son of Man is? Well, some say John the Baptist. He was very popular. And if that's who it is, wow. Like, this is the time to live in. This is incredible. Some say it's Elijah, who also some people say is John the Baptist. Hey, John, are you Elijah? No. Hey, Jesus, is he Elijah? Kind of. Wait, <laughs> you're giving different answers here. Um, but... This is what the world at the time, the Jewish world, is looking at. Maybe it's John the Baptist. Maybe it's Elijah, the forerunner of the Messiah, or perhaps even the Messiah. Maybe it's Jeremiah or any number of the prophets. But who do you say, I am? I not the Son of Man, but me. It's interesting that Jesus switches the question. Although there is an implication that he's equating himself with the Son of Man. And Peter turns to him and he says, why, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And he's not talking about the emperor whose temple, remember, is right over here, deifying man, because Peter is a monotheist Jewish man. So he's not talking in the Greek world. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. It's not the same thing as every single other person who says, you know, oh, I'm the Son of God, or they're the Son of God, right? When the, when the Roman soldier puts his spear through Jesus at the cross, he declares, you must have been the Son of God. But he was Greek or Roman. Well, Roman. He was probably Roman, possibly Spanish or something, but Roman, right? And he might not have immediately recognized what his statement actually meant. And according to Greek Orthodox tradition, as he learned 
who Jesus was, as people taught him later on, he became a believer in Jesus. Because there's a difference between stating, oh, this must be one of the sons of God, and stating, you are the son of God, which is what Peter stated. Now, skip the Persephone and um, either, uh, all of the other parts of Hades because Aaron taught it last week and jump forward because you see there is one more temple in Banyas which unfortunately if you go there with a tour guide they will look and say oh over here you have the temple of Pan underneath the temple of Pan you have Hades which is what they thought it was you have a little pit underneath the temple and like I said, with the stories of Persephone, etc., they would throw perhaps a sacrifice of a young girl down into Hades uh, to appease Hades. But there's, so people, of course, mention Hades. They mention um, the temple of Caesar Augustus because, of course, we recognize that Jesus isn't just a son of God. He is the son of God. The fourth temple is the temple to Nemesis. And who is that? The goddess of retribution. The goddess of vengeance. Suffering is something few of us want. Too many of us boast about and too few of us are willing to face. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He rebuked suffering. And how often do we do the same thing when we pray? No, this will never happen. God forbid it. God, take away this sickness. It is wrong. God, take away this problem. It is wrong. Fix this problem right now. We will never have this problem in our lives. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. We know intellectually that Christians have suffered. It is estimated that last year alone, 15 Christians every single day were martyred for their belief in God, which is a lot. On the other hand, when you divide it by the number of Christians, it's only, only, one 
out of every 300 plus thousand Christians. Okay, maybe it's not quite as many, but 15 a day is still a lot. And there is estimated that one out of every six Christians is persecuted. I'm not talking about the persecutions we face. Actual, real persecution. In our readings today, we see various reactions to promised suffering. God forbid it. This will never happen. And what is Jesus' reply to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And that's what we hear, because wow, is that strong language. Jesus turns to the person who just declared, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And the next words Jesus says is, get behind me, Satan. And it's such strong language, I wonder sometimes if we miss the rest of the sentence. You do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. You do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. How often do we pray? And if we were to listen to God, would he tell us, You don't have the things that are on my mind in your mind. You do not have the things of God on your mind, but only merely human things. I think it would be more often than we would want And this is in the same phrase as Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. In the time of the second temple, you had two different streams of thought about the Messiah. First, you had the common thought that everyone held. And today, we call this stream of thought Messiah ben David. You see, Messiah would come in strength, He would come in justice. He would come in righteousness and bearing a sword. Is that the Messiah? Absolutely it is. They were correct. And they also thought to themselves, when the Messiah comes, he will remove our enemies from us. Because, of course, My enemies is the exact same thing as God's enemies. We know that. Of course they're the same thing. My enemies are God's enemies. The things that I want are the things that God wants. Of course that's true. But there is a second stream of thought. 
And today we label this stream of thought Messiah ben Joseph. And this was not an uncommon belief about a Messiah who would come. Maybe it would be Elijah, or maybe it was John the Baptist, or maybe even possibly the same person as Messiah ben David, the strong Messiah. It might even be the same person. And Messiah ben Joseph, the suffering Messiah. Well, he would suffer for the sins of the people. And he might even be killed for the sins of the people. And he might even come back as Messiah ben David, the strong Messiah. We can find this theology already in 4th Maccabees chapter 6. The, the theology of one man's death possibly leading to redemption of many. There was an old man, his name was Eliezer, and he was being tortured to death because he refused to turn away from God. And this was his prayer. You know, O oh God, that though I might have saved myself, I am dying in burning torments for the sake of the law. Be merciful to your people and let our punishment suffice for them. Make my blood their purification and take my life in exchange for theirs. After he said this, the holy man died nobly in his tortures. But of course, Jesus is looking towards, towards Jerusalem. It says this in Luke chapter 10. Again, it says it here. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And I would argue that he always knew that. When he's in Nazareth preaching to his community, he doesn't try and make things nice. He doesn't try to calm people down. He declares who he is. They want to kill him. And he leaves. Because he knows all along that this is what he's going to be doing. He is going to die for the sins of many. But of course, he's not just a man. He is the son of man. He is the Messiah. He is the son, the son of God. The disciples weren't too sure about this plan, though. You see, what were their names? Well, you have Matthew, otherwise called Matthias. You have Judah and Judas, 
fact, you have multiple of them. You have Shimeon or Shimon. You have Eliezer or Lazarus. You have John. All of these were names that they took because of the last Messiah that came, the Hasmonean family. The Hasmonean family, whose father was Matthew, Matthias. The children, Simeon, Judah, Judas, Judah, John, Eliezer. These are the people that the disciples are named after. And so when Jesus says, suffering servant, they say, no, 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 no. Strong one, deliverer, mighty one, the one coming with the sword, the one coming with the judgment, the come, one that comes in righteousness. Like the ones that were named after. You know, the kings, the high priests, they weren't supposed to be, um, but they were. Those ones, I want that Messiah. And Jesus turns to them, get behind me, Satan. You only have the things of men, not the things of God. Suffering is something that few of us want, but too many of us boast about it. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus today, in our times, in our countries? Well, we'll tell you. We'll tell you loudly and clearly what it means. And we'll explain it to you in detail, what I think it means. And of course, what I think it means is clearly the same thing as what God thinks it means. Because that's, I'm a Christian. Right? We will tell you about the problems we have with the government in Brazil. We will tell you about the problems we have with the government's laws that are being passed in Singapore. We'll tell you about the laws that the King of England and the President and Senate and House in America are passing. And boy, are those laws just awful, according to me and my mind. And I will tell you loudly about how often I suffer. How often I get passed over for a job because, well, I believe that this is the Word of God. And as I believe that this is the Word of God, I believe that I cannot be a trans pansexual, whatever that means. And so I did not get the job. I did not get promoted. I, I, I. My church, the leadership is crumbling. My church, they're going in this direction. And that isn't to say that we don't suffer. That isn't to say that sometimes 
surprise, the people of the world do things that are very similar to what the people of the world do. You have a temple to Pan who happened to not mind things like, oh, rape. He was very well known for it. You go out, you find some women, and you have fun. Who cares about the other person? You have the temple to nymph. Well, just party. It's fine. How many people can we get in the house today? How many people can we have sex in? How many people have you conquered in your life? We have the temple to a man. Caesar Augustus. Me, me, me. Myself and I. And I'm not just talking about the world now. Because this is also me. Yes, we suffer. But our suffering isn't something that we should boast about or hold up in front of us as a shield or focus our life on combating. You see, we already have a shield. Do we not? We already have something we should boast about. What is it that we can boast about? Jesus. The cross. Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem and told them, I am going there to die on a cross, and I will be buried, and three days later, I will rise again. But boy, is it going to be painful. Physically, mentally, spiritually. But I will do it. We have something we already should be boasting about and the only thing we should be boasting about. And we have something to set our minds towards. That is the true things of God. So let's return to where we started Preaching, after all, is of no importance if we aren't listening to the Word of God and acting on it. Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
not a temple to Nemesis, not looking towards vengeance, although Jesus does talk about that both in our Matthew passage, Paul talks about it here in Romans, and it's also mentioned in Psalm 105, as well as Exodus chapter 3, which we did not read today. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Me, me, me. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. How often do we boast about the suffering that we're going through? The suffering that we probably caused because we are stupid. Because we are proud. I hear people complaining about suffering a lot where we live in Israel. And we think there's a lot to complain about. There are a few things to complain about. Okay, sure, yep, mm-hmm. But most often when I hear someone complaining, I'm like, it kind of sounds like you have a really bad attitude. Like you were kind of proud, conceited, thinking about yourself. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If you're going to suffer, and you will, suffer for the right reason. Suffer because you too believe in the cross. The cross of the living and true God, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah. That is the only reason to suffer. Nothing else. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Very simple. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. David preached on that four weeks ago, five weeks ago. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, 
or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.